Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Lynn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Oi, really? Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Really? It's between Lynn and Jed, sometimes they equal out to a normal affect. <laughs> It's a very you know, symbiotic relationship there. Absolutely. We are not joined this week by regular co-host, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. He is on special assignment at Young Life's Sharp Top Cove. Absolutely. Also, I'm under protest. Certainly. It's what you call a division layer. Would you like to engage in any kind of action based on the protest? Or? No, it's just, uh, you know, uh, just... Uh, just want that on the official record. Sure. Would you like to get some kind of hashtag campaign going? Um, let's, you know, let's hold off on that for now. We just, just, you know, just noted for the record. Okay. But we still do have a good show for you. We got a couple of great questions. We're going to have an interview with some friends of ours who very recently were sleeping in Glenn's house. Yep. He wow. sounds a little tired. <laughs> we had four super fans from Toronto, Canada. Mm. It's like America's hat. Yeah. Come down. Uh, hang out. They did some ministry stuff with us, had some meetings, yeah. a lot of cool stuff, but they are involved in a ministry called Move In, which is yeah. uh, folks going into uh, refugee and uh, lower income neighborhoods and cities. It's all over the world. You'll hear more about that. We thought it was really cool to highlight people who are doing uh, ministry stuff or spreading the gospel, but are not. it's not professional ministry. They're, people have day jobs. And it's also quite different from what we do. It's something mm-hmm. going on in our city, but it's it's different goals, it's different ideas, but it's people who are, who are reaching out and doing some of their faith, which we think is really cool and want to let you guys know. Before that starts, I have to clear an emergency. Whoa. Is then, it, I mean, when you say it like that, it doesn't seem like it's an emergency. Sure, it seems semi? Yeah, it's well, like uh, just barely even an emergency. Well, it's kind of the beginnings of an emergency. And I fear that it's an, if Jed ever finds this product, we will have to check it into the hospital emergency. <laughs> well, okay. I'm interested now. We have from uh, New Zealand Superfan Bridey. This tweet came into the three of us. Her only comment on it was at Jed Brewer, at Matt Kanger, at Linda Cheryl. Thoughts? Okay. Well, I always have thoughts. Yes. Sure, but the thoughts do. are about this, which is someone with a picture of new Monster Energy Ham. Wait, what? Wow. And yes, yeah. that is deli ham. <laughs> and, you know, clearly found the grocery store produced by the Monster Energy Company. Wow. Now, for people who are unfamiliar, perhaps, you know, because we're international. This goes sure. out to There is a drink here in the, the United States. Oh, it's uh, other places too, friend. Are, well, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to know that. But it's, a, it's an energy drink. Called Monster Energy Drink. Mm. Now, it's. I understand that the energy comes from bits of real monster. That's right. That yep. are yep. in it. Grind yep. them up. Right. So that's. I. I don't know about the science. That's also where the flavoring comes from. Oh, they, I see. They have a shoot, you know, kind of your your grape and orange and uh-huh. that kind of thing. So you, you've got your Dracula, your thing flavor. Uh-huh. If you if you like a nice, you know, it's kind a bit of vague. Arctic, your you know. your your cyclops, exactly, exactly right. You know, mm-hmm. each each of them have their own blend of flavors that they bring. So, okay, well, that's so you got you got your your monster energy drink, yeah, little energy, bits of Dracula, right. Yeah. Combined with ham. Yes. Yes. Well, the thing, if you if you have not experienced it, Monster Energy is um, basically if someone just pumped, I don't know, half a gallon of sugar into a 20-ounce can to sure. some kind of, you know, dark magic. 
Right. Um, it 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 but it looks like radiator fluid. Right. It is green. Yeah. That is their that is their marketing. Um, if you if you uh are ta- partake in I don't know BMX racing or monster <laughs> trucks or something like that, you right. may have noticed a certain amount of them. That's the level of sporting event that your Monster Energy <laughs> right does a lot of sponsorship with. Yeah. Pretty much anything where it's guys who don't have all their teeth jumping things over other things. Right. That's a Monster Energy kind of thing. And they thought we got to get in the ham game. Yeah. Well, that's yes. Well, I said uh, when when this came in over the Twitters, mm. uh, was that uh, I have many times eaten enough ham to get sleepy. Sure, sure. So I felt like this is an idea whose whose time has come. Because yeah. you think that the caffeine would offset the sleepiness. Yeah, kind of even you out. Yeah, you you get pretty sleepy if you eat enough ham. Absolutely, I, I'll report that from firsthand experience. Sure, sure. Do you think if instead of the the nice honey glaze that makes you so sleepy, you just basted it in monster Monster Energy drink? Yeah, that's yeah, that's. I mean, well, here's the question I have: is can you make your own Monster Energy ham? <laughs> you could try. You know what I mean? Sure. Cut out the middleman. That's right. That's Those fat I, cats at Oscar Mayer. Look, are getting a dime off of Glenn. I understand. I look. I ain't in the pocket of big monster, right? Uh, but uh, uh, although that'd make a great movie. But here's what I'm saying: is we have to figure out how we're going to get in on this. Absolutely. That's our whole. That's really what this podcast is all about. Sure. Is how are we going to get rich? Yes. And there's other things with advice on other things. But there are. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we got to fill out the hour. But it's about, you know, uh, how do we get in on this? So what what other things can we monster eyes? Well, one way to go with this is to embrace the concept of Christian energy drinks. Ooh. I see. You know, a little wings like eagles. Oh, okay. You know, walk and not faint energy drink. Right, okay, okay. It, It powers you with inspiration. Okay. And enough caffeine to bring down a bull elephant. I see. Yes. In this way, the abstract concept of the Holy Spirit will be, in a very real way, supplemented by uh, 40 grams of potassium benzoate. Exactly right. Uh, but here's, here's, here's what I'm saying, fellas. Hit me. Because you got be, to take it to the next level. Always. Okay? Everybody's got an energy drink. Sure. Right? You put another energy drink out there, you're competing with all the other people. Okay. What you need is a communion wafer. Ooh. Follow me? Yeah. Loaded with caffeine. Yes. Okay, Ken, I'm not sure about the technology. You know, like they have those diet pills that's yeah. just caffeine? Sure, yeah. Can you just make that into like a wafer? Just scrunch you know, it down. Yeah, just you know, kind of, you know. I mean, we can check with our friends in the tech department, but it feels like that ought to be doable. Well, you do that. Let me tell you what. this, this You're going to have a zippy worship service right there. I think that's absolutely right. Now, while we're on the idea of kind of this next round of communion wafers, communion yeah. wafers 2.0, if you will, uh, there's energy drink ones I think is great. Mm. I feel like, are we missing a segment of our friends who are on the no carb thing? Mm. Oh. I mean, communion wafers made entirely of ham. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, people, they're gluten-free. Yeah. They're on the ketosis. They're mm. Atkinsing. Yeah, They don't want to eat this cracker. Right, that's right. It's, it, you're presenting them with a dilemma. Pure Ham, sure. Right. Pressed into discs. Yes. Right. Well, I can report as a Southerner that if you take country ham, yeah. as God intended, yes. that, that being salt-cured ham, mm-hmm. and you fry it, 
as yeah. one can find at um, a good restaurant like the Waffle House. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Jed, what they call ham at the Waffle House, no actual pork product was ever involved in that. I'm just saying, if you take country ham and you fry it, that's wafer-like. I mean, it's a very yeah. thick, chewy wafer. Right. But it's essentially, yes. I love it. Here's what I'm saying. To, to Glenn's point, we have to think in a business mindset. We've got okay. to shark tank this. Mm-hmm. We've got to real. We got to get this to market. Right. So we need distribution. Okay. We can, we can all sit in the underground bunker here and just make ham wafers. Sure. We got free time. I, I I'm hope doing we it already. Do. Yeah. It's basically happening already. Yeah. But we got to get this to the consumer. Yeah. I'm talking a partnership oh. with an existing brand. Okay. Cracker Barrel Communion. Whoa. <laughs> you come on down to the Cracker Barrel. You get your ham wafer. Lord. You get you your little plastic thing filled with gravy. Sure, yes. Right, yeah. And yes. you just go to town. I this is the first of all I cringed on a very deep level on this idea. <laughs> yeah, Glenn literally fell, leaned away from the mic. Yeah, mostly because that would absolutely work. Yeah, yep. but here's what I'm saying. I love about this idea is the opposite of vegan. Sure, because that's nobody's it's vegan. Yeah, like because vegans the cool thing. Everybody's doing that. But then you have to do something new. Got a zag, right? Sure. So. Uh, so here's what I'm saying is the Monster Energy drink has got bits of real monster in it. Right. That's my understanding. Yes. Yep. No, I don't, I'm, no, I'm no scientist. You may have taken the Halloween marketing a little bit too literally, right. but let's go with it. Okay. So here's what I'm saying is uh, uh, if why don't we sell people and make your own Monster Energy drink kit? Yeah. You follow? A Monster Juicer. That's right. Ooh. So you you stick the monster in there. That's how you get the fresh monster. You catch juice. your own yeah. chupacabra. Yeah. You put it in the top. Put the lid on. Puree. That's what I'm talking about. You you just and it's uh it it it's like it's like a juicer. Yeah. You could make, for example, a monster smoothie. Yes, you could. That kind of thing. Sure, you know, absolutely. Put some yogurt in there and whatnot. Well, you keep the pulp in there. You get some fiber. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So, you know, I think we got a great idea here. I can't miss, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Not a lot of juice in this here, Dracula. Well, if you have any other um, horrific monstrosities of dietary things that you think we would enjoy, you'd probably be right. Yep. So feel free to send it in. I will contribute to this. And as I was recently in the United Kingdom, and uh, Britain, we need to have a talk. Mm. Are you okay? How are things going? How are you going, girl? Hmm? Wandered and saw a billboard for the uh, Subway Corporation, mm. which they oh, have okay. over there. I'm sorry. Now, in America, Subway is, is markets itself as lighter fast food fare. Right. You know, it's, it's, you come in and get a nice ham sandwich, and yeah. you can also put 4,000 calories worth of fixings on that if you want <laughs> right. to. This so is, you get your carbs, you slather your mayonnaise on there, and then your fatty meats, and it's healthy. Yep. Absolutely. Here are the three things on that I saw on these kind of uh, bus displays everywhere for Subway. Okay. This is on the 99 pence menu. Mm. Hash browns, oh. which we don't have here, but fairly standard. You know, fast food stuff. Uh, taco beef mini wrap. <laughs> okay. Here's the kicker. Doritos taco beef nachos. Uh, okay. So I'm left to one of two conclusions. One is that over there, Subway is just buck wild. Yeah. Right. Us as Subway is we didn't 
Eat fresh, nothing. Eat this. Right. Yeah. Subway, eat hard. Yeah. Right. Ta- Doritos beef nachos. Yeah. yeah. Or, and this is possible, in Scotland, that is what passes for lighter fare. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it also possibly a case of, if it's an American fast food chain, your expectations are <laughs> that something horrible is about to go into your mouth. Right it should now. be. You're saying this is a triumph of branding in yeah. the same way. And this is not the first time this happened. People the world over see an awful food thing, and their first thought is, Jed must know of this. Well, there's definitely that. In the same way, you think, it's American. We want something truly terrible. That's right. Well, if you find the Monster Energy Ham, P.O. Box 316, Forest Park, Illinois, 60130, uh, care of the old Say That podcast crew, we will do it live on the air. You know, I would warn against sending lukewarm ham through the mail, <laughs> but I don't think you can hurt this product. No, probably not. I don't think it can get any more inadvisable to eat. Only one way to find out. And with that, I declare emergency off. For now. Yep. <laughs> Sounds like a much bigger emergency is brewing. Now, if you listened to last week's episode, um, you may have heard the worst transition into a bridge box plug that's ever happened. It was pretty tragic. I forgot I was doing it. I forgot the topic, then threw to Jed, who is the director of the entire bridge box topic uh, project, who did not know the topic either. Yep. Took the time on air to look it up on my phone, read the wrong one. And then when we were reading the first question, which was the bridge box topic, only then realized. Yeah. So all that to say, this week, going to keep it nice and simple. Okay. We have a subscription model called Bridgebox. Oh. You can sign up at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. If you give a minimum donation of $8 a month or more, we will send you every month an email that contains songs, sermons, Bible studies, and more based on the topic. Here in the month of November, our topic is Jed... Yeah. Actually, give me a second. I should know this. Our topic is, how do I find balance? Topic is all about balance. Yeah. Was I putting Jed on the spot for comedy's sake, or did I forget myself again? The world may never know. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Sermons about balance, Bible studies, music, all sorts of good stuff. It is the number one way that people who like the podcast financially support the work we do up here in Chicago. And God bless them for it, because uh-huh. uh, as you can tell, sometimes we're a little overloaded. We move on to our first question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, So this morning's message talked about anger and how it's murder, how we need to settle it before offering to God. Can you guys give me the details on this? They said deets in the question, but I don't feel like I can credibly say that. No. So I expanded that out to, to details. Because politics, hateful people, and stuff like the tragedy this week makes me real mad, and I don't know how to deal with it and how to deal with it before making an offering to God. Thanks, guys, for being so real and so down-to-earth. It's a great question, and it is a timely question, because it doesn't really matter what week they wrote it in. There was some kind of awful thing that happened that can fit into that. So, Jed, where do we start off with the idea of anger? Well, it's a great question, and we are really glad that you wrote in. And there's a lot of layers to what you've described, but maybe as as a way of navigating it, we should start with the idea that Christians often jump to the end of a process. I'll give you an example of what I mean. If somebody wrongs you, um, and you ask most Christians, somebody wronged me, what do I do? They would say, forgive, which is, that's true. That, that actually is the right answer. 
But the thing that that leaves out is that forgiveness is the end of a much longer process. That's actually not where we start. We we start with recognizing we have been wronged and kind of working through a process probably of some anger and some some grieving. And uh, but we we wind up with forgiveness. But if we're not clear on the process to get to it, um, we're going to have some problems reaching it because we can't really really authentically just jump to it. The Bible does say a lot about anger, and and actually that there are, in a sense, different kinds of anger, that there's a a righteous anger, but there's also a a human or or, or man's anger, and Jesus had a lot to say about anger. And one of the things that the Bible is super clear on is that we don't want anger to run our lives. We don't want anger to make our decisions for us, so we we, uh, don't want to let the sun go down on our anger, for example. Um, But again, kind of like with forgiveness— that living a life where where anger really doesn't call the shots on you is kind of an end of a process. That's that's not where we begin. And I think it's really easy around Christian stuff for it to sound like people are saying to you, just don't feel how you feel. You're angry. That's yucky. Don't feel that way. Which, um, A, that's odd and bad advice. And B, that's not how emotions work. So it's unfollowable advice. So the question that's really before us is, I'm going to become angry. Um, I know God doesn't want me to go around being an angry person who's just ruled by anger. What's the in-between that lets me go from the one to the other? That's the thing that we really, really need. That's the, the important stuff. So let's look at that a little bit. The first thing that's critical to know is that the emotion of anger is not a sin. You are not in sin if you feel anger. You can very quickly be in sin off of what you do with that anger, but feelings don't have a moral quality. Feelings are not good or bad. They they just they are what they are. So here's what I do, and, and I'd encourage you to, to try this. Talk to God about your anger. Rather than judging it, talk to God about it. Tell him that you're angry. Tell him why you're angry. Don't worry about being right. I think a lot of people run into problems in their prayer life because they they only want to tell God things that they're sure are 100% legit and correct and and bona fide. Eh, Don't worry about it. Um, If it helps you, you can preface. You can say, dear God, I'm about to tell you things and I must be wrong about a lot of them. That said, here's how I feel. God can handle that. That's great. Tell God about your anger and go into detail. Tell him why you're angry. There's a few reasons for that. The first is it's very difficult to bleed off an emotion that we're not willing to look at, um, that we're not willing to acknowledge that we have, that we're not willing to explore. So that's that's thing one. But thing two is I think we need to be open to the idea, particularly with the stuff that you mentioned, you said, because politics, hateful people, and the stuff like the tragedy this week. And there's such many tragedies. I have no idea which one you mean. So maybe God's angry too. I think that's one of the things that, that Christians often miss is that God is allowed to be mad. And, and I think God often is. And I think as we work on the idea of listening to the Lord in the context of prayer, I think it's really good to ask God how he feels about the stuff that we're mad about. Because maybe we're blowing things out of proportion and maybe we're not. Maybe maybe God is angry about the stuff that you're mad about too. And there's something therapeutic about knowing that someone else sees your point of view and doesn't disagree. But there's one more thing, too, is once we've shared our heart with the Lord, I think it's really good to ask, God, is this my fight? I've got this thing that I'm mad about. I've got this thing that I'm upset about. Is, is this actually my problem to solve? 
Is this actually something you want me to do something about? And it's important to ask that because there are so many tragedies in this world. You as a solitary individual cannot respond to all of them. That's just not possible. You actually can't even care about all of them because you don't have that much emotional energy within you. I think one of the devil's favorite ploys is to try and get us wound up about and angry about and impassioned about everything other than the one thing God actually wants us to be focused on and working on. So I think it's good to tell God about your anger and ask how he feels, but then ask again, God, is this my fight? Is this something that you're looking for me to do something with? Or as awful as this thing may be, is this a bit of a distraction in my life from other stuff that you want me to be focused on? I think it's a really great place to start this off. And Glenn, I think Jed did a great job kind of covering that bigger landscape of anger mm-hmm. and how it's it's absolutely right. We don't want to judge the emotions. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, Paul says, in your anger, don't sin. Right. So that must be possible. Right. We know feeling anger isn't sin. I think another thing, as he points to, you know, there can be confusing in the conversation about this is there's a tendency, I think, for some people who present topics, uh, you know, pastors, blog writers, whatever, to just kind of look up a bunch of verses about something and just lump them all in together. Mm-hmm. And part part of what here is, is clearly being referenced here is the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Where, you know, Jesus literally says, if you know, you've heard it said, don't murder, but mm-hmm. I'm saying don't be angry with people. What he's saying there isn't exactly to be angry is the same as murder. Right. He's actually making a broader point. Yes. And it's not actually about anger. So what's he saying in that verse, and how does that help us understand what's going on here? Well, yeah, if I could read the the verse that was was preached to you, it's, uh, you have heard, uh, as you said, this is Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said uh, to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, so um, it sounds like uh, the person preaching this sermon to you was saying, okay, that means anger and murder are the same. So guess what? It's like you're all murderers. Uh, Except for that's not what that says. Mm. So it's important, uh, you know, whenever you hear us talking about a specific Bible verse, we're always talking about put that in context, you know, read all the stuff around it. There's a very important, very key passage that Jesus talks about just before we get to this one, and he's saying, um, I, I'm coming to establish the new covenant, but I'm not coming to do away with everything in the Old Testament. It's a different agreement between you and I, but I am... Uh, I am establishing a new covenant, and that that new covenant does not involve a free-for-all. It does not involve just anybody can do anything anytime that they want. The new covenant is you follow me. That's that's what I'm trying to establish here. But then he says something really key and really important. He says, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. So he's saying... The Pharisees have a certain approach to living a righteous life that you need to exceed. And what we know about the Pharisees is they were, uh, what we would say today, uh, legalistic. Uh, and probably fundamentalist might be a better modern word for that, but the idea is they were following rules rather than following God. That's the easiest way of thinking of that. So Jesus is saying you can't merely follow the rules and see yourself as a righteous person. You, you must move beyond the rules. So he is saying that if you 
are telling yourself, well, look, I'm angry at him, but I didn't do anything about it, and I didn't, it's not like I murdered him or something. Jesus is saying sin is sin. If you're, if you're wandering, if you're fantasizing about it, that's not what I want you to be doing. That is therefore wrong. It's a sinful thing. If you murder that person, that is also wrong, and it is also a sinful thing. So he's saying that you sort of keep the rules with the thought of, if I obey the rule, then that means I can have all these wrong thoughts and all this wrong stuff in my internal life, and it's okay, I can get away with it because I didn't violate the rule. He's throwing that thinking right out. In other words, he's saying, you must be better than someone who is legalistic and manipulates someone with guilt, like the person who preached you this sermon. So, uh, we want to uh, uh, take time to figure out how to maybe have a better interpretation of that passage. Uh, it should also be noted, if you read this in the NIV, they'll have a little footnote that will take you to the bottom, and it'll say uh, that in, in the part here where it's talking about uh, anyone who's angry with a brother and sister will be subject to judgment, in, it, it'll have a note on there that, that says, uh, some manuscripts say, anyone who has an unjustified anger with a brother and sister. So what does that mean? So uh, very, very quick here. A manuscript is a copy of the Bible. And the older a manuscript is, the more accurate we take it to be. So, uh, you know, we have manuscripts that go back to 300 AD, and then we have newer ones and so on and so forth. So the Bible that you carry around, we've had several different, very, 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 very old copies of the New Testament, and we're able to compare them to each other. And uh, the the level of overlap is very nearly total, but every now and then there's a little phrase here or there that's different from one copy, from one manuscript to another. And so the way the NIV deals with that is they just put it at the bottom and say, you know, this isn't in every old, 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 old copy of the New Testament that we could find but it's in some, so I think it's it's worth recognizing that's that's in there. Uh, the word that's being used for anger there is also very specific, and it it means an an anger that kind of comes after you've judged someone, you're condemning someone, you're 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 saying this person deserves to be mistreated by me, and I am now going to act on that. Uh, so it's it's not. Uh, I, I want to seek justice and make things right. It's I want to punish this person for something I see that they have done wrong. So uh, fleshing all of those things out, what it's really trying to say is none of us can look at ourselves and say, hey, look, I'm a righteous person because I follow all the rules, and I didn't. it's not like I did anything, so it's not like it means anything. He's saying, you follow me, you don't follow the rules, and I'm not leading you into this constant rage and anger and frustration as Jeb was talking about that that sense of just trying to be angry about all these things you see on the news and just more and more coming and you just feel overloaded that's not the life that god wants for you i think it's a great point another uh bit you mentioned about the uh this passage here that uh, comes up in sermon on the mount in matthew 5 is this idea of therefore if any if you're offering a gift at the altar and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you leave their gift in the front of the altar First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Um, it would probably be, as, as Glenn is saying, it would go outside the context of what's there 
to extrapolate, you have to not be angry before God wants to deal with you. Um, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that actually offering a gift at the altar in the context of time is a very specific act of worship. It's a, it's a very big deal. And it means a certain thing. That's about atoning for your sins. That's how they did that, you know, uh, with animal sacrifices and whatnot. Um, the other thing is that we know that's not from the rest of the Bible. When the way it talks about emotions, we know that's not how God works. We don't have to, you know, be in a, a perfect, a perfect state of mind to go to him. You know, the Bible says, continuously and things like that. Um, but one thing I think exactly as we can point to what Glenn's saying here, there is a reason it says that. And one of the things is there, if you're angry all the time, you cannot worship. Not that God right. won't receive it. You kind of can't do it. If yeah. you're, if you uh, are just kind of in a constant spiral of rage and bitterness, it's not that God doesn't want to deal with you. It's that there's going to be something seriously funky in this equation going on. Mm-hmm. So again, when we look at these things, we can, we can start with what we, we know is exactly true about the Bible, which is that whatever we have, God can take it. God does not, none of that. He can, he can't stand to look upon the evil of the whatnot. <laughs> no, no, no. He's seen it all. He's seen worse, but these things are in there. So they must tell They must be in there to tell us something. And in this case, uh, a lot of the kind of, long and short of is all, as we've all said here is that a life based on anger is just not going to give you what you want. It's not going to give you what God wants for you. I mean, that's, that's in the Bible. Man's anger does not lead to the righteousness that God desires. So it's not that it's bad to feel angry. It's not that's a dirty emotion, it's just that letting that emotion rule us. Like, I don't know if you, I can't think of a, a major world figure right now, who I think like, you know, Pretty much just stokes stokes anger and everyone around him is miserable. But, you know, insert that person here, that clearly fictitious character. It's a golden example. Very well done. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to leave that there. Yeah. But uh, it's not very Christian. And it's not going to lead to a happy life. It's not going to lead to one where you your emotions have a correct um, place in your life. We, uh, we did a, a topic about anger recently at the bridge. And I did not read this in some book or something until afterwards. It would have been great. Next time we talk about it the bridge, I will use it. I will pretend I came up with it because uh, I can't remember who I stole it from, which is kind of the same thing as coming up with something on your own. Yeah. But uh, I think it was a psychiatrist. Basically, the, the analogy they were drawing was your, your life is like driving a car and emotions are like a toddler. It is a bad idea to put them in the trunk and ignore them. It is also a bad idea to let them drive. That's good. There is some middle ground here. They're in the back seat. You got to deal with them. That's again, it's kind of the way that it can't be led by, but nor can you just ignore it. You don't have it. That doesn't lead where we want to go either. All right. We're going to take you to say that interview. This is a little different interview. Um, we talked to Miss Talani, Miss Faye, Miss Rebecca, and Miss Sarah. They're from Toronto. They all Ooh. live and work in part of a ministry called move in. It's a thing that's uh, around the world. And we wanted to talk to them because a, they were already in Glenn's house. Yeah. So that's that's convenient. Yeah. If more uh, authors and musicians would think of just <laughs> going ahead and coming here. Yeah. Make the easy. interviews a lot easier. <laughs> um, but also, so there, you, you heard him talk about move in. So it's a thing where uh, people who are Christians move into a neighborhood that's often a uh, very uh, high population of refugees. It's lower income. A lot of these are in inner cities. So Toronto, Chicago, London, these kind of places. And they just kind of live there. They try to reach the community by being part of it. It's not, uh, and it's it's a very cool thing. It's it's has some overlap with what we do, but it's incredibly different. So we wanted to give a, just another vision of the way people are, uh, particularly young people, are doing something with their faith that are uh, 
then you'll hear them talking about some people do this for a season. So it's a, a range of ages. So it's a very cool thing. We wanted you to hear about that. And we'll take that interview. My name is Tawani, and I am the downtown Toronto regional rep for Move-In. Excellent. We're super glad to have you recording an, in lo- an in-person interview, which I'm really not used to doing. So <laughs> of, um, we're, we're all figuring out what to do as far as eye contact goes for however long <laughs> this interview goes. If this one is a little shorter, it's because my social awkwardness took over, and we just, <laughs> we just couldn't have it. We're super glad to have you in Chicago. We're super glad to have you. On the show. So, why don't you tell uh, the people listening what Move In is? Yeah. So, Move In is a movement of regular Christians prayerfully moving in among the unreached urban poor. And every single word in that st- statement is strategically chosen. So, regular meaning just everyday Christian. You don't have to be a superhero or, or a missionary or a pastor, just anyone working a regular job can move in with prayer into a neighborhood that has a lot of unreached people groups who don't know much about Jesus and people who are poor and in urban areas. Great. So poor is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. As yeah. Is urban areas. Why don't you uh, break down for us a little bit what you mean by unreached people groups? Right. So people who, um, for the most part, are immigrating from countries where Christianity is not main religion. So usually whether it's Hindus or Muslims or any other major religion um, being their main religion. Sure. (laughs) Okay. So you mentioned, and I think it's a very good point of this is not for people who are uh, professional, not for people vocational in ministry. So what is reaching someone in your neighborhood look like when it's not your full-time job to be an outreach person? Right. That's a good question. Thank you. I'm very good at this. <laughs> I think you are. And the eye contact is working. I've been wanting to say that in one of these <laughs> interviews for like three years. I feel like I can't really pull it off. Yeah, like, yeah. We have a single on Kayla. I'm like, no, I'm really good at interviewing you. But as you, you know, I, I got to live my dream in this one too. So that's good. Yeah, this works. Meanwhile, we're talking about your very important, very good ministry. Right. Yes. Of, so what in. does that look like to reach out to someone, but not in like a, you're not a pastor going in. You're someone who lives in yep. their neighborhood. What does it look like to reach out to them? Um, So it basically is just loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, It's very organic and it takes different shapes. It just depends on opportunity. It depends on what God is putting on your heart. So we make it a point to be present and to be prayerful. um, And we trust that God is going to do the rest. So sometimes it's as easy as baking cookies for your neighbors and just knocking and being like, hey, where are you from? And then, you know, taking some interest in their culture um, sometimes it could be, you know, going to the grocery store and <laughs> talking to people that way. So it really just has to do with your regular life being a position where you can be used by God. That's great. And it is, what's the living situation like? So there's mm-hmm. also the community aspect of this, which is really cool for people. So w- what is someone who decides to move in? What are they actually moving into? Right. So... Um, When you move into a neighborhood, um, we call them patches. Uh, So they're designated neighborhoods that have specific borders. And we want people moving in as a team. 
so ideally we don't put people into a neighborhood by themselves. Usually they're on a team of other people who are also part of move-in, whether they're living directly with those people or those people are living in other apartments in the neighborhood. Um, one thing is that they are meeting together and praying together at least once a week. And so it looks a lot like, you know, community living. Um, teams are, you know, involved in each other's lives on a spectrum. Some are super involved, some like live all together in one apartment, and then some are more spread out. And why that sounds like a very important aspect of it because Absolutely. if you're just one person, you're not moving in, you're just kind of the weirdo in the neighborhood. Yep, yep. I'm accosting <laughs> yeah. people. So what what kind of time frame is this? Is right. this uh, is this a like a six month thing? Is this a commitment thing? What, right. what are the people who move in trying to get for themselves when they step into this issue? Yeah, so it really it's a lifestyle. Um, so move in ideally is a long term thing. Of course, some people move in for a season and God calls them to something else. And we encourage that and bless that. Um, but there are a lot of move-iners who are lifers. Some people have been in since the movement started 10 years ago, and they're still moved into a patch and still just doing life, loving neighbors, and seeing God do amazing things. That's fantastic. Let's let's talk a little bit about the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't know. Uh, move-in has patches all over the world, so we can't yeah. really speak to that. But as far as I think the Toronto... Uh, Patch. I just said that word, but I don't know if you got it. Yeah, in the Toronto patch, maybe job. we can use that, right? I'm picking up lingo. Yeah. Um, we can uh, use that as an example. So I've, you're saying these are poor neighborhoods. Yes. Um, but obviously you're not trying to put people in an unsafe situation. No. So what is what have you learned and what are you are people learning from being in a different kind of neighborhood? So move-in has values. And one of our main values is brokenness. So the idea is that we're not saviors for these neighborhoods. We're not going in kind of trying to fix everything. We want to be broken alongside our neighbors. And so um, the reason for that is because we believe that we can actually learn a lot from our neighbors. And for example, in my neighborhood, um, there is a very strong community. It's, It's not necessarily a community doing good together. They get together to you know, drink and all kinds of things, but they hang out every single day. And Mm -hmm. that has taught me a lot about commitment and caring for each other and loving each other because they genuinely care for each other there. Um, And so that's been something that I've learned um, from my neighborhood. I know people learn different things from just the kinds of people groups that are there. Um, and then as far as like the safety goes, to be honest, our neighborhoods are not the safest, sure. um, especially in Toronto, like move in is global, but especially in Toronto, it's quite established in a lot of the most unsafe neighborhoods, but God is faithful. And usually when people go in and they feel called to be in that neighborhood, they find that it actually doesn't feel unsafe. Um, so, you know, people from outside are like, what? You live here. Why do you do that? What's happening? But from their own personal experience, they feel like, yeah, I, I feel pretty safe. So, yeah. That's really great. Let's, so one final question I have about the kind of the overall vision, and then we'll move some specific stories, is so to a I imagine a certain person, type of person who has a certain experience might hear uh, what we uh, on the Say That Podcast may refer to you know, uh, good-heartedly as Christian do-gooders. Right. Moving into a poor neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And that screams gentrification. Of course. But this is not a socioeconomic movement. This isn't a grant no. money movement. So 
What's what is the impact you would describe that you're trying to have on a neighborhood? So our mission is to make disciples. Um, so it's it's very simple in that sense, but of course, it's also quite holistic because I I don't believe making disciples is just simply leading people to Jesus. I think it's a holistic life change. Um, so as far as like the impact that I've seen, I know in our neighborhood, for example, um, there has been a lot of just, there's been a a shift, I would say a spiritual shift, but also just a mental shift in the lives of the people that we see hanging out in, you know, what is considered the bad area of our neighborhood. And there's just a lot more joy. And when we pass by, they're excited to see us. They want to hang out with us. They want to pray. They want to learn more about God. And that's something that we didn't see when we first moved into the neighborhood. And actually, back to the whole safety thing. Initially, when I met people in this area, I was scared to death. And I went home and I was like, God, I can't do this. I'm moving out. But then God was like, really? (laughs) And over time, these people have become our friends. So we have nothing to be afraid of when, you know, the so-called scariest people in the neighborhoods are our friends. Um, And we have really just seen their lives change. And often when when you see some major key people in a community change, it really changes the community in in greater ways. What's your name? Hi, my name is Rebecca, and I'm also part of the Downtown Toronto Move-In team. Fantastic. So we have uh, some members of the Move-In team here, also come to visit Chicago, and I wanted them to give us just one little story if someone came to you and asked, you know, should I do this? Why are you doing this? So what's your uh, number one with a bullet move-in story? Uh, it's a tricky question. I'm fairly recent move-inner. Uh, I moved in with my husband in July. We just got married. And that was a big thing for us. We weren't sure um, if we wanted to jump into marriage and jump into a ministry like move-in at the same time. Um, but for us, it's been really fruitful and, yeah, just life-giving in our marriage that we've been able to join together in this partnership and also have a purpose and kind of a mission for our growing or new family together, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we're able to serve together as well as serve each other. Um, So that's been, that's been really cool. And we're still kind of getting to know our community and our neighbors. It's been nice to meet um, some of the neighbors around us and with um, our patch, um, Talani and some of the other girls, we've been able to get to know, um, yeah, different people in our neighborhood and um, kind of build on the relationships that they've been developing for the past couple of years. So that's been really cool to meet those people and kind of try to see where we can fit into um, further the work that they've been doing there. And yeah. Hi, I'm Faye. Excellent. And what is your move-in story? I also moved in um, a couple of months ago in August um, and just fresh out of uh, graduate school and looking to have a more purposeful and, and meaningful connection with my faith. And move in was um, a prayer answered, really, um, having the opportunity to serve alongside uh uh, Christians, like-minded Christians, um, has been a real blessing um, to me. I didn't have a lot of 
Christian friends in my young adulthood. So just being surrounded by um, brothers and sisters in Christ has helped me grow my faith and um, just connect with with God on a different level. Um, I think one of the every opportunity that we have to to support each other really resonates with me and it, it really touches my heart in um, in a meaningful way. So we've had many members of, of our community or of our team who have lost loved ones or who have, um, who have missed opportunities or are, are striving for things that are, are meaningful to them that we've been able to come alongside and support them. Um, and, and that's just been great. And even when I have situations that I'm dealing with at work and I want, um, a, pers- a biblical perspective on what I'm dealing with. I have my roommates that are right beside me. Um, and every time I go to work and I, I, I always have a story, something wonderful that we've done or a potluck or, um, or a barbecue we've done in the neighborhood, the wonderful families that we've met. And everyone always forgets that I'm talking about, um, you know, the like kind of like the, like the bad parts of the cities, the parts that no one wants to really go into. Um, we have a lot of social housing. Sometimes we don't have hot water. Or we always have vermin <laughs> and uh, cockroaches and bed bugs and electrical fires. But somehow those stories, I always forget to tell those stories because I'm just so blown away by the amount of love and um, energy and passion that I see surrounded, um, that surrounds me every day. So uh, really move in has been, has been a blessing in many ways. And, and, but personally, it's, it's really grown my faith. That's all fantastic, and we'll talk to the move-in people to see if we're going to cut out the vermin part. Or not, fam. One more move-inner. What's your name? My name is Sarah. You're gonna, you might be hearing a little more from Sarah in the future, but that'll be about something else. For now, we're going to talk about move-in, and Sarah, what's your story? Yes, so I'm also from the downtown move-in patch, and one of my favorite stories is when we were uh, having dinner with this couple that just came from India, and um, we, we were very intentional. We actually first came in to give them cookies, and they, they loved that, and they, we invited them over for dinner. We had dinner with them, and it was wonderful. Uh, one of the really touching stories was when she was, like, after having a, a friendship and a relationship for a while, um, one of the stories she told us was that she actually lost her baby mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. and, like, we this was over dinner, and um, the wife, we were able to just like cry with her mm-hmm. and just really just be there at, at that moment and and just hug her and just yeah that it was so um, raw and it was just so um, like really nice to share that moment. It was very sad, um, but that's when it really hit me like wow we are really um, this is really a friendship and this mm-hmm. is really something that we can share together. Um, just being trying to be a comfort to that to her. Um, and because of that, um, we had more dinners and more opportunities. And finally, before they were going to go back to India um, because uh, they lost their, their work, mm-hmm. uh, we were able to just share a testimony and just mm-hmm. talk about God. And it was so natural to talk about it. And they were just so happy to hear it. Um, and, yeah, they were just, like, amazed at our stories, of what God was doing in our lives. Um, and we were just so encouraged by that that we actually had a Bible given to us uh, by Move In, like, provided, um, that was, like, a Hindu Bible 
and when we gave it, she was like, this is great. I want to give it to my mom, and I want like, they were just so interested. And, and we also gave them a, a, a Bible, um, I think, in NLT, and we, like, highlighted all our favorite, like, passages cool. and verses, and they were, like, so excited to read it. So we shipped them off, and they brought it to India, and, and they've wanted to, like, Skype with us ever since. So it was just a beautiful friendship, and I, we couldn't have done that. Like, at the time, I was working so much. All I could ever give was my dinners, like, that's all I could do, mm -hmm. and that's why I think move-in so great because it's whatever time you have. If you have, um, if you're doing laundry, then you bump into someone. If you're doing groceries, you bump into someone, and it's so intentional because you're in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So that was really beautiful. All right, that was a lot of fun to sit down and talk with the ladies from Toronto. There, you'll hear more uh, from Miss Sarah next week when we talk about some other ministry. Super cool ministry stuff she is doing. Yeah. But uh, for now, again, if you want to find out more, you can go to movein.to, find out more about the organization and more about places where they have move-in patches, mm. which is the very cool jargon that I learned and forgot while I was talking to them. Okay. But I remembered it now. Well, that's the key time to remember it is much later. Yep. <laughs> Oh, those are those are really amazing, amazing ladies. No yep. doubt. Yeah, super fun time hanging out with Chicago, and they're doing some really cool stuff up there in Toronto. All right, we're going to move on to our final question here. It came in anonymously, and it says, I'm sure you guys heard the I Kiss Dating Goodbye guy apologized for writing the book and all the damage it did. I know that's good, but the damage is still there. I guess I'm so used to fake public apologies. I feel skeptical, which doesn't seem very Christian. What's the right way to process this? And Glenn, go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I will say, um, it, and this is kind of shocking for me to say, but uh, I think he probably, in his apology uh, statement, he probably covered every possible thing that that I would want him to cover in terms of you know, an unconditional, unequivocal uh, apology and distancing himself from that stuff, working with a publisher to get it off the shelves, all of those kinds of things. So this was, this was, you know, kind of ticked all the boxes of being uh, a full distancing oneself from this and, and a full denunciation of it and, and asking other people not to be on it. Uh, that takes a lot for me to say because we've dealt with a lot of people who have struggled as a result of this uh, this book, and uh, we have been pretty seriously enraged by this the impact and the fallout of that. Uh, so it, it does take a lot to to look at that and say, well, no, that that ticks all the boxes. Uh, but ultimately, sort of the blame game doesn't get you anywhere. You know, you, you can't get into a cycle of saying, well, um, I, my dating life is a mess because I read this book and I bought into it. I, I, th I think, uh, in fact, that Joshua Harris himself would agree with an element of that for sure. Uh, and there may be some reality to that, but I think we all have to take responsibility for our own choices. We have to, we have to recognize you know, maybe I was set up to fail, and maybe it's perfectly reasonable that I I failed at this and and made choices that are unhealthy for me. Uh, but it's you have to take responsibility for your choices because taking responsibility for your past means that you can change your future. You you chose one thing, now you can choose another. 
uh, you were you weren't uh, overwhelmed by something. You weren't taken control by something. You you can make a, a different decision to lead a different life. I think here's the first step in that. We're going to leave all of this behind. Every single thought that came from this book, we're ditching all of it. We're scrapping it all right down to the studs. Well, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. Terrible idea. Don't ever do that. Oh, well, there was some good stuff in there. No, there wasn't. Throw it all out. Throw it all out. Here, we're going to start over with the Bible. I've heard of that. Yeah. It sold a lot of copies. Yeah. We're going to, if if you had to start with the Song of Solomon, perhaps, it might really open your eyes to the, how, how you know, a, a godly man and godly woman feel about one another and all those kinds of things. Uh, but we're going to uh, we're going to try and strip away everything that that had to do with that, what we learned out of that book, and th- there may be a lot of cultural things that you, maybe your church kind of took that and ran with it in a way that's really unhealthy. We're scrubbing all that out. We're assuming every fruit that came from that poisoned tree is also poison. We're going to we're going to scrub it all, and we're going to start over by saying. Uh, I'm going to follow the direction that God leads me in. So here's here's so that's our first step. Here's the next step. Uh, what the book did was to take your fear and baptize it. And what I mean by that is to say you're afraid to ask somebody out. That's a that's a, anybody would be afraid of that. You're, you're it's an overwhelming thing, and you think, well, if they if they rejected me, I'd be crushed. And what you would have found out had you done that is, eh, it would suck, but you would have lived through it. And that's okay. And then you say, okay, I've, I've, I'm still alive. I can do this again. And eventually someone will say yes. And then I'll you know, move forward and life will go on. But the, the book kind of took all that and said, you might do yourself permanent damage. You might wound someone, and you should be ready to marry this person if you ask them for coffee. Well, uh, that's, uh, that's, to use a, a, a psychological term, that's crazy pants. We need you to try and start by grabbing a hold of this, uh, this simple idea. It's not that big a deal. You're just getting some coffee. It's not that big a deal. You should not be thinking about marrying a person you don't know anything about. You should not uh, have it in your mind of, I can't ask this person to coffee unless I'm ready to walk down an aisle. That's insane. That makes no sense whatsoever. That's not healthy psychologically. There is nothing in Scripture that says that's a good idea. Uh, dating, and, and this, is, this is really the last point I want to make about this. Dating is about learning. It's learning about the kind of person that you may or may not be compatible with, uh, but it's also learning about yourself. You might find some shortcomings that you didn't realize that you had, some areas of growth that you need to develop, your communication skills that aren't quite where they need to be. Uh, if you're a man you, and all your friends are male, you may discover that you mostly communicate through a series of grunts and belches. And, well, the, the ladies need more than that. So you, you realize, okay, I, I need to... Uh, develop my communication skills. I need to be a better person here. And I'm learning that. Uh, the idea, I think the part of what that book put out there was the idea of the fewer people that you date uh, and the, the, the shorter the trip between dating and marriage, the better. And I don't agree with that at all. And I don't, I don't think there's any uh, 
Christian counselor I know worth his salt who would agree with that. Uh, ultimately, it, you're, you shouldn't get married till you're ready to get married, and you shouldn't be ready at all until you realize that, uh, you know, what it is you need to learn and that you grow into those changes, and you're with someone who's ready to grow with you. Uh, I think it's about recognizing uh, that you need to be set free from all of that fear and operate out of love. If, if we're talking about romantic relationships, it ought to feel natural that love be the thing that drives it as opposed to a crippling fear. The, uh, the psychological term, crazy pants, of course, named after Dr. Carl von crazy pants. Right. did a lot of very good work in Vienna yeah. Yeah. in the 19th century. A man who's finally getting his due. That's right. So that's all, it's all really fantastic stuff. And I think there, as Glenn's pointing to here, there are lessons to be drawn from sure. this whole debacle, but none of them really hinge on the dude. Yeah. It would be, again, that one of the lessons may be anything that hinges on a single person might not be that great an idea. Yeah. So what are some of the, there are some things we need to draw that are not really about Joshua Harris and they're not really about the anger either. So sure. we go back to our first question. So what are some of those things that are good takeaways? It's a really good question. So when, uh, when Josh Harris wrote this book, I believe he was about 19 years old yeah. and uh, true confessions. When I was 19 years old, I was an idiot. I mean, I've learned a few things. Me, me too, just for the record. Yeah. I don't know if Josh was or not, but uh, most 19-year-olds aren't. Uh, most 19-year-old dudes definitely are not too bright. I know I wasn't. And uh, I had all kinds of dumb ideas that I'd be happy to tell you as a 19-year-old dude. The difference is that no one was giving me a book deal. And that's a really key and important difference. See, I think... Part of the lesson that we want to take here is a lesson about the power of platforms, the power of media channels, that people who are in charge of what winds up on the shelves at a Christian bookstore, what winds up on the, uh, um, the broadcast of a Christian TV station or a Christian radio station or you know front and center on major Christian publications, those people wield a lot of power. I mean, a lot. The only reason you've heard of Josh Harris is because those people decided to support his 19-year-old ideas. That's the reason why you heard of them. And to quote that great theological source of our time, Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. If God's given you the ability to influence people, you need to wield that very carefully and very prayerfully. And these people didn't. That's that's the bottom line. We were talking recently uh, when we were just hanging out as a staff about folks that we've known, um, and not writers, but folks in the Christian publishing industry um, who just you know work in that world. And one of the things that they're all pretty honest about is we're not trying to do ministry at all. We're trying to sell books. Um, we would love it if it helps some people along the way. That would be super neat. But that's not what we're here to do. This is a business. We are here to sell books. And if you can dig it, um, if you're a publisher and somebody comes to you and they say, I've got a book idea that I think is really going to get people reading. I mean, they're, they're going to buy it and they're going to buy it for their friends and it's, it's going to sell a lot of copies. I'm not going to ask too many questions about, yes, but is it propagating terrible ideas that will leave lasting damage for years and years to come? You're just seeing dollar signs. And on a certain level, I think we can be understanding about that because that's how business works. That's, you know, that's 
kind of the nature of trying to, to make money so you can pay your bills. But at the same time, we, we do need responsibility within that. One of the lessons to take away is that the people that control uh, Christian platforms and Christian media channels don't always exercise the responsibility that they should. Um, and what that means for you is that you shouldn't trust everything that you see and read and experience on Christian media channels. Um, because there's actually not a, a group of people overseeing the theological and scriptural and psychological accuracy of it. They're trying to sell stuff, man. And in that sense, there's no difference between them and HBO and iTunes and Netflix. Um, well, there's a quality difference. There's a definite quality difference. But the following difference is, is not there. You shouldn't base your life on stranger things. But you know that. You, you know that this is entertainment. You shouldn't base your life on anything Josh Harris says either. It's, there's no difference in, in that sense. These are both effectively entertainment channels that are trying to make money. Um, and they make money when you're engaged and interested in the content. And that leads to the next lesson, and this goes back to something Glenn was saying. I want to be clear before we proceed. If you have experienced pain in your life because of the ideas in this book, we're really sorry. Um, we, we love you. We're sorry that you, that you went through that. Um, we don't believe that your past in any way has to define your future at all. Um, and we believe that the Lord has a great and awesome and hopeful future for you. Um, but part of that is recognizing that living into that new future means making different choices, uh, different choices about your dating, different choices about how you see yourself, but also different choices about the media that you consume and different choices about the trust that you place in media channels. Um, if you know that people are effectively asleep at the switch, the people who should be filtering this stuff and screening this stuff are not doing it. And to be clear, they're not. They weren't doing it then. They're not doing it now. I guarantee you. Well, that means that then you have to filter it for your own self. You have to be on the watch for your own self. Glenn used a really great phrase, which is that this stuff baptized your fear. You had things that you were afraid of, and this, this book and the ideas in it came to you and said, oh, that's good. You should be afraid. In fact, more fear is more good. One of the things that's important to watch out for is when you know you have an area of struggle in your life, it actually is a good idea to be on guard against media that's going to make that struggle worse. Uh, really, I mean, you, you, you should think about that. If, if for example... Um, you're struggling with forgiveness. You've, you've been hurt a lot in your life and you you need to work through a process of forgiveness to have some freedom. If all you watch are Charles Bronson revenge fantasies, that's not going to help. Uh, for somebody else, that might not be a big deal. It's just, you know, it's, a, it's an action adventure movie and it's not a problem. But if for you, if it's making that struggle worse, let's find something else to watch, man. If you've got an area of fear in your life and you're consuming media that makes dealing with that fear 10 times worse, Let's read a different book. Let's watch a different TV show. Let's let's listen to a different mu a kind of music. Um, at the end of the day, again, this is, this originated with a 19-year-old who didn't know what he was talking about with ideas that weren't tethered to reality. There's a lot of that floating around. It's a constant in the world. It got where it got because people who had a responsibility to be discerning were not. That has not changed. The answer here is to learn how to be discerning for yourself in your own life. We believe in you. You can do it. That's absolutely right. That was all really fantastic stuff. One thing I'll tackle on the end here is we talk a lot. We talk a lot on the show about kind of interpersonal situations like this. You know, there's someone who should have been in a position of trust in my life or something. Someone who's, who screwed up, who hurt me, whatever. 
We talk about the idea that forgiveness is given and trust is earned. That goes exactly the same in situations like this. We, we don't need to be mad at Josh Harris. We don't need to, to vilify him. We don't need to throw things at him in the street as much as five years ago. I probably would have been down with that plan. But also, let's say, and I, who knows if this is going to happen, let's say this whole thing is the beginning of the comeback tour. And there's the book about all he learned and, you know, how our, how our media you know, really vilifies people and all he learned about, you know, the dangers of celebrity and all. You don't have to buy that book. You don't have to think this is a smart person. You don't have to think anything positive about him. You just don't need to be mad about the previous thing. In the same way, and I think that you know, a little bit of that, I'm so used to kind of the fake public apologies. There's a lot of, and this is not his apology, as Glenn pointed out. There's a lot of this kind of PR stuff from media people where the clear point of it is, I checked the apology box, so now no one gets to ever say mean things about me again, and I have to go back to zero. That's not really the way apologies work in real life. You can say, I'm not holding on to the bitterness. I'm not angry about, but we don't have to forget about the reality that happened here. And it's not, it's not being unforgiving. It's not being uh, vengeful to hold anything that Josh Harris publishes for the rest of his life. Anything that comes out from that particular publisher or that Christian bookstore or that industry is Jed 20 out to hold that view a little askance because this is a thing that happened as Jed points out. We have a very small data point of someone trying to uh, push back against the insanity of this. It is a small data point in a very large sea. So again, we do need to look at this idea of, of forgiveness and, you know, versus trust versus re repaired relationships. That works a specific way. We talk about a lot in one-on-one uh, -on -one relationships. It also works in a pretty similar way when it comes to institutions and media and stuff like that. It's, we don't need to go around, you know, bashing Josh Harris. But nor does anybody have to buy a ticket for the ride if we try to go for I gave dating a firm kiss on the cheek, hello, or whatever the next round is going to be. You don't have to get on board for that. That's not the same as holding the previous thing against them the same way it wouldn't be in normal life. Once again, we want to thank Ms. Talani, Ms. Faye, Mr. Becker, and Ms. Sarah for talking to us about Move In. We're going to take out this song this week. I'll tell you about that in a second. First of all, if you have a question, you can get to touch the set podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We had no leave for you this week, but we will remedy that with a song. I'll tell you the song from this month's Bridge Box. It's called Follow What Fills Me. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. I forgot to come up with an outro, but it's something with a monster drink and a thing with some ham. Nice. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna follow what fills me I'm gonna follow what fills me Some things in my life Drain me right down to the core Some things that I do They just leave me wanting One moment of time To people and things That don't bring me life I'm gonna follow what fills me I'm gonna follow what fills me You came to give peace, rest, and life to the full 
So I'll follow what fills me and walk with you. I'm gonna follow what fills me. You give adventure, you give me real joy, true. Satisfaction that I cannot find the end of. Learning to give the best of my time to people and things that fill me with life. I'm gonna follow what fills me. I'm gonna follow what fills me. Rest in life to the full So I'll follow what fills me And walk with you I'm gonna follow what fills me Extend life to the full So I'll follow what fills me And walk with you I'm gonna follow what fills me